You're listening to the Maker's Quest podcast. I am Brian Benham. And I am Greg Porter. And today we are talking about whether or not social media is still a valid venue to advertise for your business. A lot of the people out there listening to this podcast are probably listening because they have some type of business where they manufacture a product. And they're probably a little bit involved in social media as well. I know both Brian and I are in that category. Uh, but we're going to start off talking a little bit about Brian. Can you tell us about, we know you from Brian Beanham Design uh, on YouTube, or at least that's how I know you. A lot of people know you from your Instagram feed, but you have a business where you manufacture furniture. Can you tell us a little bit about what that business is, the, the type of stuff that you make and what goes out the door? And then I'll follow up with some questions about how you market that business. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my main core of my business is making custom furniture that kind of looks like art. So it's not just your typical furniture, custom furniture. It looks like art. So that is the focus of what I try to put out in the world to attract that type of client. And that's what I usually use my social media outlets for is to try to put out art. This is what I build. Hope people like it and hope that they will in turn, come back to me to uh, purchase something along those lines. Well, first, I would make an argument that your furniture doesn't look like art. It is art. Uh, <laughs> I always try to be modest, err on the side I, of caution. I know, but but it's it's uh, some pretty wonderful stuff. So, like historically, how much of your early business came from social media? Those first clients when you when you took the leap of faith and said, "This is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to make a living." How many of those clients came from that social media feed that you have? Yeah, virtually all of it. When I uh, when I first started, before I even started Benham Design Concepts, I uh, was still working my day job and just making stuff as a side hustle, or I just make it um, for myself or for my house or friends and family. And I'd post on it on my Facebook page. And of course, my mom would comment on it. Oh, that looks great or whatever. And back then the algorithm of Facebook would be like, Hey, Brian's mom commented on this thing that he made. Let's show it to all Brian's mom's friends. And so then all Brian's mom's friends would see it. And then that would generate the next commission. So, uh, yeah. And then, okay. uh, Facebook got big and they started to roll out the pay to play. So when you post something, then all of a sudden no one saw it or liked it unless you paid for it. A little thing would pop up and say, hey, pay 50 bucks to boost your uh, post and we'll show it to 25,000 more people or something. Okay. So the organic nature of spreading the word no longer works uh, or at that point in time no longer worked. And so there's there's another venue that you've got to go or another avenue that you've got to go down. So now fast forwarding to today, what percentage of your business comes from social media, originates on social media? Uh, almost none of it this year. Wow. So yeah, maybe all well, of, I say one, we'll say one, one project came from social media this year. Interesting. So all of your work then is coming from repeat clients. And I know you answered an RFP as well, right? Uh, yeah, uh, the RFP was for the Red Rocks um, Visitor Center for the Amphitheater's Visitor Center uh, restaurant to build a bunch of tables for them. And I was awarded that project. And that was a, a three-month build. So that took up three months of my, that took up basically uh, February, March, and April of this year. Um, 
because it was such a big project for just a one-man shop. So I wasn't really seeking new clients after that. Then the second client came from social media, uh, but was only because another social media person didn't want to do the client, do the work because that client didn't want it shared publicly because he wanted it a private thing. And so he referred him to me. And so I took it on. So it didn't actually come directly through my social media accounts. And then the rest of my business this year has been just because I've been in Colorado building furniture for a decade. And I have uh, several interior designers around the state that send me work and then clients that uh, come back for uh, other projects uh, for their home. So call that old school social media, word word of mouth. Word of mouth, yeah. Real word of mouth, not just, hey, look at this guy's Instagram feed. Yeah. So uh, mentioning Instagram after Facebook kind of fell apart for a marketing thing. By this time, when Instagram started to become a big thing, I was doing uh, my business as my full-time job, but I still had all these woodworkers that followed me on Instagram that just kind of came along from Facebook. And it was a really sweet deal at first because you wanted to be in the top nine back then. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. the the top nine on the hashtags. So I would post my work and I would use a lot of hashtags for like hand tool only or woodworking, uh, the dusty life, whatever those uh, hashtags were back then. And of course, all the woodworkers would like it. And so it would push my uh, stuff up. And I was never really a high performer in social media in the woodworking world, but it was enough that I could use local hashtags like Denver interior design and things like that. But since all these woodworkers liked my posts, all of a sudden I was in the top nine slot uh, for Denver interior design. And then that all of a sudden started driving new business. And then uh, Facebook bought Instagram and then it became paid to play. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, It definitely went down that road. I know you and I have both discussed on this podcast before that the longer a social media uh, outlet or, or app or whatever you want to call it is around, the less likely you are to see what you actually came there for in the first place. And I think we've both mentioned, you know, look at your Instagram feed. It used to be all people you knew, like Mm -hmm. you could scroll through and every single Every single post that you saw was somebody that you actually knew or somebody that you followed on purpose. And now scroll through and I feel like maybe one out of every five things in my feed are people I know. And God forbid you you hit the button where it does the the reels, you, you won't know anyone, right? Now you're just right. like in never, never land. And I think YouTube has similarly uh, happened that way, although... I still, uh, I still look at my subscriptions feed because I, I copied and pasted that, uh, that URL years ago as, and saved it so that I can always get to just my subscriptions, not the thing that YouTube wants to feed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where I get most of my content on YouTube is from the actual subscription uh, thing, which I don't think, I don't think you can see uh, without that old link. Um, I, I could be wrong there. Well, it's, it's different. It is, you can still get there, but it's different uh, than what it was old school on the, at least on your phone app. I don't know about on a desktop, but on your phone app, there's a subscription feed, but it's not the same as it was because now they still inject things from other people. It's not a clean, clean feed like it was. Yeah. I still, I, when I watch YouTube videos, generally 
I'm watching from that clean section. It's all the people that I want to follow and see what they're doing because I find them interesting. Uh, that's where I watch 99% of the stuff that I watch on YouTube. Every once in a while, I click the YouTube icon and see what they want to feed me. It's usually pizza reviews or something silly like that, which <laughs> is fine. Sometimes it's a good mental break. Get away from from making stuff and and seeing cool projects. But so that's interesting that that over time it's gone from from the main feed for your business to almost non-existent. And so I guess my question for you, and this is probably slightly off of our topic, then why do you continue to uh, post on social media? Um, well, I've greatly slowed down. I don't post hardly anything. I think this year I've only posted maybe three or four videos to my YouTube channel, maybe one um, uh, post to Instagram. Um, I did at the beginning of the year, try some real or not real shorts on uh, yeah. YouTube just because I didn't have content. And uh, I, so I went over to Fiverr and there's a guy on Fiverr that says, Hey, I'll make 60 videos for 60 bucks, 60 shorts for 60 bucks. And I says, here's my link to my video, to my YouTube catalog here, 60 bucks go. And so I posted those out every couple of days and they were terribly, terrible edits. I mean, what do you expect for a dollar? But <laughs> it fed the algorithm. And so the algorithm kept growing my channel, even though I wasn't doing any new content or new work just from that shorts feed, because if you bow down to the algorithm, then, then you get rewarded. If you don't bow down to the algorithm, you don't get rewarded. Just like uh, recently YouTube rolled out a new linking feature. So in your shorts, when you post a short, you can link it back to the original video or link it to the next short. And so since that's a new feature, I posted three or four new shorts just to test it out. And those videos that I used the link in uh, did way better than any of my other videos or did way better. Those shorts did way better than any of my other shorts. So it just goes to show that playing, playing the algorithm will help you if you have time to do it. Yeah. They well, there's always a catch, right? There's a reason that YouTube and Instagram and Facebook want you to do things in a certain fashion. And it's because it increases their advertising dollar is generally what it, it does for them. And so they're going to force your hand because they want everybody to follow the rules so that they make more money. They've got a, a board of directors and shareholders and everybody else that they have to make happy and they make them happy by putting more money in their pockets. And so we, we get to play their game because we're on their platform, which uh, is interesting in and of itself, I suppose. <laughs> there, yeah. there is no true internet town hall. Like that doesn't exist. Um, right. So. There's a, a private company or they are a private company. And so they will do what they way want. And that's one of the scary things that I look at some of my friends that are solely content creators. They make all of their money by doing content and they are just one algorithm change away from having their, their income wiped away. Yeah. I mean, shoot, we've seen several rounds of the algorithm panic where some of the big some of the big players on youtube have you know just lost revenue hand over fist and uh you know the panic sets in what do i need to do to change this and it's like welcome to our world right right <laughs> yeah it's gonna be fun to see you fail and get 200 views on your next video <laughs> yeah that's that's what videos. it's like for us so uh, Skyscraper Garage and Greg's Garage, you have two businesses that are linked to, yeah. to social media outlets. Uh, have you 
have you had any success uh, selling on those? And has that success still dwindled as well? Um, so interestingly enough, the skyscraper guitars side of things, uh, that is really, we have two venues where we, where we sell product, I guess is how I would say it. One of them is I have a bunch of how-to videos on how to repair your guitar, how to build a guitar, um, how to do different things with guitars, whatever that is. There's a, a million different things you can do to guitars. And I make those videos as, as an information, you know, I, I use my tools in them. I talk about, you know, you can do this 10 different ways. You don't have to use my tools, but if you want to, we have a website and we sell the tools and we, we, we think pretty highly of the quality uh, of our tools, not think highly. Uh, our tools are pretty high quality. So if that's what you're looking for, you know, you can buy our tools. If you don't want to buy our tools, then you could do what I used to do when I was a kid and I just made my own. <laughs> and, uh, you know, th that was how my tool company started. I was making my own and somebody said, hey, can I have, can you make one of those for me? And so really the YouTube and Instagram feeds are what feeds that business on the website side of things. Um, people see the videos and like, yeah, I would like to do the same thing. I would like to have that tool. It looks convenient. They order the tool from the website, whatever. It has gotten a lot of word of mouth. You know, we've reached a critical mass where there are big technicians. There are big guitar companies out there. I, I, I don't think I want to disclose any of those names, but uh, some very, very large guitar retailers, I'll just put it that way, use our tools in their setup department. Um, and those things feel pretty good when somebody at that level uh, is talking about your products and, and saying, yeah, we want to use this versus your competitors. Um, on the flip side of that, we sell about two thirds of our product goes through Amazon right now. And Amazon has its own advertising base that's not tied to social media. And uh, I don't know how that works at all. I sort of pick and stab at it, but uh, we've got some advertising things set up that seem to work well. And so two thirds of our business is driven off of Amazon's algorithm <laughs> and a third of it is driven off of YouTube and Instagram posts and, and then, you know, word of mouth and that sort of thing on the Greg's garage side of things, it's a hundred percent driven by YouTube. Really. Uh, I post a few things on Instagram here and there, but, but it's really off of YouTube and it's, uh, some small, the Greg's Garage product lineup is pretty small. It's Twisted Sharpies uh, and it's, um, uh, why can't I remember the name of my own Seems tool? Impossible. The, the Seems Impossible tool, uh, Twisted Sharpies. And then we we sell some really small, of course, I don't have one in arm's reach, but some two inch and six inch squares uh, that we sell. And I've actually got a, a throat plate prototype for uh, the old Delta Unisaws that I was going to sell. And I just never felt terribly comfortable with it. <laughs> Number one, table saws being a dangerous tool. You don't want to do something that's going to cause somebody an injury because of some negligent thing that you didn't see as a product developer. But number two, it's for the old Delta Unisaws that not very many people use anymore. Yeah. So, you uh, and I might be the only two left in the world that have those. Yeah. And then been replaced they made by right tilts stops. and left tilts, right? Yeah. And and these are for a specific tilt, which is the old version. I can't remember. Uh, it tilts right, I think, is the way it goes on the old version. Um, so, yeah, so it's such a limited market, but then it's such a dangerous thing. And when I when I started 
looking at insurance and all those things, it was a no-go. But so yeah, Greg's Garage, very small product offering, but yes, it is completely social media driven. And it has, you can see it in our sales, it's hot spots and cold spots. All of a sudden the algorithm will decide to share my Seems Impossible videos with the world and we'll get 50 orders in two weeks and then it'll cool off and we will see maybe an order a week. It is, it is so hot and cold. But uh, all of that said, it's been very organic through the social media side of things in that there have been other people on YouTube that have used the tool and you can tell when they put their videos out, we'll see a spike in sales and that sort of thing. So would I say, you know, does it still work? Does it not work? Social media still works. Getting traction is much, much more difficult than it used to be. And I think, Brian, the, the difference between our two companies is I make widgets, right? I make things by the hundreds or by the thousands, and it's the same thing over and over. Um, you make unique things. And so, you know, one person looking at a video to for Seems Impossible might talk to five friends and, and they can just order them and buy them. When you're making custom furniture that's always a one-off, that's a completely different situation. Somebody can't sit on their computer at 11.30 on a Friday night and order a table or a chair or a desk or a you know, a vanity or, you know, fill in the blank from, from Brian, they, they have to talk to you. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit different model. Yeah. So, uh, along those, along those lines, uh, after, uh, after Instagram got ruined by Facebook, I was like, all right, well, I got it. I'm going to give this TikTok thing a try. Right. So I created a TikTok account and I went from zero followers to, 650, almost 700 followers in a very short period of time when I first uh, joined it. And I thought, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm gaining, growing faster than any other platform right now on, on just TikTok. And then TikTok wanted to be like Etsy all of a sudden. And so they rolled out the TikTok shop thing and they started really pushing that and promoting that and getting people to uh, sell their products on TikTok shop and all the products on TikTok shop are just garbage. It's like people making stupid hats. Like, I don't know how many hats you need in your life, but there's like 50 different vendors that are selling these TikTok hats. And like most of it's just copycat garbage, but they're promoting it and pushing it like crazy. Like every other post is someone's TikTok shop thing. And I was like, well, there goes my my growth. It, it completely stopped. Uh, very little growth since they they launched that because I didn't sign up for TikTok shop because like I have not, my product isn't a, a thing that you can sell like that. It's not something you, like you said, scrolling through TikTok at two o'clock in the morning and be like, Hey, that's a cool hat or a cool t-shirt. I'm going to buy that. Not impulse driven. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. I, th I think, you know, as, as people in the maker world, again, uh, there is a commodity side of, of making things, but then there's also the art side of making things. And I've always, I've always thought, you know, the art side is, is definitely the most difficult side. There's no doubt about it. And I see some people balance the two, which is always very interesting. So I have this thing that I do on the production side of things. I make a hundred of these things a month and then I sell them, you know, it, it, this way. But then I also do these one-off and and it's sort of the, I always go back to the Ferrari model, right? They used to, they started selling cars to fund their racing habit. <laughs> and and I always think of, of business in that way. Like, what are you going to sell 
to to fund your habit of what it is you really want to do. And um, I think a lot of makers fall into that category where, and again, uh, I'm not picking on cutting boards, but it's it's the easy one because it's top of mind. There are a lot of really talented woodworkers who make cutting boards and and that's the basis, that's the foundation of their business is they're able to, they know, they know that they can pump a dozen of those out the door every month and people will buy them because of the rarity, the cool design, the whatever they, they can own that market because their, their skills are at a level where they're putting out a product that everybody wants, but it allows them number one, to fund all the tools they need. Number two, uh, you know, they're making the cutting boards out of the scraps of the stuff that they want for their bigger projects. And then, uh, then they're able to, to concentrate on those bigger projects. And then they don't have to worry about selling 10, 10 big projects a month or five big projects a month, they can sell one a month or one every other month and, and still have that basis. But it, it's kind of interesting how, how some of that dovetails in from a business plan perspective. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm no different. I have cutting board line as well. And um, I will say that uh, the market has reached saturation and that's those sales have also dropped off. Yeah. And that might also be because of the TikTok shop thing, because all those woodworkers are, selling their cutting boards on TikTok. And so it's just oversaturating. It's an, it's a fast, easy thing to make. Uh, even, even the cool ones don't take a lot of time once you get your production down. And then uh, woodworking plans are another big one. Um, that one has ups and downs every month, but I still pretty solidly sell uh, quite a few plans every month. Uh, the latest thing uh, um, that has really moved the needle for me that has allowed me to pursue projects that I, the passion projects that I've wanted was my relationship with the Wood Whisperer being a guild instructor. Um, Cause people want the, want the course they want. It's, it's great to have the plans, but to see how someone actually does it uh, that may have more experience um, that is, that I think is a selling factor for a lot of people. Well, and I think, you know, one of the valuable assets that we acquire as people who make things is is the skill and the knowledge and that wisdom that you can only build, you know, that 10,000 hours in the shop, however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. And when you look at, like you, you mentioned the plans to build something. Okay. That's one thing, but to sit over a master craftsman's shoulder while they do something and you see all the little nuance items that go into making a true, you know, craftsman, a, a master craftsman level piece of furniture. It's a different level uh, of detail, or attention to detail, finish and process of how things are done. And it's not, it's not willy nilly by any stretch, but it's not overly complicated. That, that's been my experience. When you watch somebody who's, who's very good at what they do, they're able to process things very efficiently, but very accurately at the same time. And and the amount of value that that brings to a beginner or intermediate level woodworker to see that like that it's unreal. It's like having an apprenticeship inside of a, of a, you know, high end shop and, you know, the cost of some of those, some of those uh, programs that you do is worth every penny. <laughs> just, <Thanks. laughs> just being able to see how it is you do what you do. Cause there there's, there's an insane, you know, people pay a lot of money to go and get an education and they don't get half of that because the instructor doesn't just sit there from soup to nuts and build something, right? The instructor tells you, well, here, do step one and I'll watch you do it and tell you what you're doing wrong 
versus I'm going to build it. You just sit there and watch the entire time. That doesn't yeah. happen in the real world. Well, it, it, it does to a certain extent. Um, Cause that's how I, that's how I learned. But uh, I have a little bit different story than, than most people. My dad uh, managed uh, uh, or helped manage. He was one of the project managers for a bridge construction company. And he was like, once I was old enough to work and in the state of Oregon, where I grew up, once you turn 13, if your parent signed off on a minor's work permit, you could work 40 hours a week doing what, what whatever, so, or well, not whatever, but like yeah. a, a lot of, you could do a lot of stuff uh, with your work permit. And uh, so he set me up with uh, um, being the shop helper in uh, the fabrication shop. And I was able to work alongside guys that had years and decades of experience and not just in the shop, but then on the weekends, they would say, Hey, you want to go help me frame a house or build a deck or whatever side project they had going on for either themselves or for their side hustle clients. Um, they would bring me along with them to, to work. And so I had exposure from all kinds of things from welding to framing, to finished carpentry, to electrical, uh, sort of plumbing. Plumbing is my nemesis. Uh, that's, th that's the one area that, uh, if it's not a simple sink faucet change out, I'm calling a plumber. There's, there's no way I'm crawling under the house to cut a sewer liner, yeah. but yeah. So anyways, but, um, uh, yeah. So I just was able to amass this huge amount of knowledge and especially being a kid and not having any rent, uh, during that time. And then even when I did move out of my parents' house, uh, I didn't have any responsibilities or bills. The only bill I had was my rent, really. Right. Um, so I could work really cheap. I could work every apprentice job there was that even though it paid shit. So I was able to uh, amass a huge amount of knowledge just in a short time. And yeah, that if you're a kid now and you want to be in the trades, don't get a summer job at McDonald's. Go find a summer job sweeping the floor in the shop and just just do whatever's asked of you, even if it's sweeping the floor is boring, because if you work hard, the old dude in the shop is going to appreciate that. And he's going to say, Hey, let me show you how to do this. Yeah. Gosh, I look back and I, I know this is slightly off topic, Brian, but I look back at my childhood and, and much like you, I started wiring. My dad's an electrician, a journeyman electrician, uh, wired in the union and was in the air force civil engineering side of the Air Force and did electrical work in the Air Force. And uh, I was lucky enough, he had total side hustle <laughs> when I was a kid. And so I would go out with him on weekends and do electrical work and in commercial buildings. And I was doing electrical work in commercial buildings at age 12 and working alongside my dad, who's, you know, master electrician and seeing not just how to connect one wire to another, but how to do it in a fashion that is, you know, the top of the line guys. This is how they approach their work. This is how you hang conduit and you make it look pretty. You know, it, it doesn't, nothing we ever did look like a mess. It always looked like it had always been there and it was an intended to be there. And, you know, from, from bending pipe to, to hanging it and just all the things. Um, but then good gravy. I, I worked as a carpenter framing houses and got to work alongside again, guys that are, that have been doing it for 20 years or something like that. And we're just phenomenal. And uh, I worked in some of those jobs. I worked as a laborer. So I wasn't really touching the tools that much. I was just bringing everybody what they needed, but it allowed you to sit and absorb that. So back to 
back to kind of the the topic is looking at some of those some of those plans and some of those I, I can't remember what you called it but uh, um, build series or I'm sorry what courses what courses online yeah courses. There you go. yeah yeah online courses you know those those are from a social media standpoint if you're if you're looking at from a business perspective, looking at, at those types of things, those are great revenue generators because your skill is valuable for other people to see. And, uh, you know, the narration and and the detail that those video sets go into is, uh, is just pretty incredible. Yeah. So uh, kind of back to our social media thing, when I am scrolling on Instagram and things, uh, there are a lot of people that are starting to do courses. So now in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, this this revenue stream is going to start to slowly come to an end as the market saturates, or maybe not come to an end, but it's going to dip down, uh, and then hopefully the cream will rise to the top, and I'll be able to come back up, and hopefully I'm part of the cream. Um, yeah. But uh, so now I'm looking at other things. Um, so like like SEO just for my website. Now it seems like no matter what kind of marketing I pursue in today's day and age. There's an algorithm involved. Oh like yeah, SEO is is totally algorithmic driven. Do you uh, for your like skyscraper garage or not? Why do I keep saying skyscraper garage? Skyscraper guitar. For a skyscraper guitar, do you uh, get into the SEO much on your website? No, and I'll tell you, I, I say this all the time. Uh, I'm an architect first and foremost, and then I'm a, a tool builder guitar guy. I am not a web guru. I suck at website, whatever that is. I, I know enough to get it going. I know enough people to keep it going. But when it comes to the analytics of actual web traffic, I have no clue what's going on. I've tried to get into Google Analytics and all the things. I think even my WordPress will do tell you things. And I've got in there and looked before, but I don't know how how to push the levers to make it go one way versus another. And and I look at my website, not as a, I'm guessing if you Google skyscraper guitars, it will come up, <laughs> but but I have no idea. But my thought is we do drive a lot of business, like I said, from, from social media. So having that www.skyscraperguitars in my videos and saying, this is where you go. That's how I rely on our website to function. It just, it, that when I click that button, it needs to take me there and show me the things we have for sale. That's all I needed to do. <laughs> yeah. So over the years, I I have never really dived super deep into SEO, but I've always made some kind of an attempt, you know, just try to make sure I'm I'm titling things that people would search for. I put a little thought into it. Um, but as our uh, our friend Andy Berkey said, uh, some days you make rent, some days you make art. And right now, I have a project that I'm working on that is just a make a rent project. And whenever I have those make a rent projects, I will do anything uh, I can in my power to procrastinate completing that project. <laughs> so uh, this last month, instead of making money, I have decided that uh, I need to prepare my business for the inevitable slowdown of the um uh, courses and add revenue from YouTube and all that and make sure that I have a strong SEO. So I've dove deep, like really deep into SEO this last month because it's more interesting than the current project um, by a lot, uh, unfortunately. 
but so I, uh, and one of the things that they talk about in SEO is links. And so I was like, okay, so I got to get links. How do you get links? And it needs to be quality links. And so I started reaching out to different publications to get, to see if they wanted to do an article about my artwork or whatever. And uh, a very reputable publication, very large publication said, said to me like, huh, you make cool furniture. I don't really have, um, an article that we're looking for to do right now, but if I might link to your website, if you want to quote, if I can quote you about how to clean furniture. And so I was like, right on. Yeah. I, I can tell you how to maintain furniture and you can link to my website. So I, I write out this whole thing because, you know, different finishes uh, you want to treat differently. It's a nuanced thing. Like if you're in your uh, shop and you set some oil, like a machine oil down on the your your countertop you're going to notice that that oil attracted all the dust in your shop and it gets really gross so you don't want to use oil on like a polyurethane because polyurethane seals the furniture and doesn't allow the oil to soak in like uh, like you would think for a hand rubbed oil so i wrote this whole thing up about how to clean your furniture if you have a if you have a furniture that's based on on hand rubbed oiled furniture yes continue with that but if it's polyurethane which most modern furnitures are you don't want to put a oil or any of that pledge wax or any, any of those products on your furniture, because it's just going to attract dust sooner. And uh, so she tells me, yeah, we're not going to use your quote. Uh, and I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. And so I read the article and the article that they quoted someone else. And the quote that they used was um, uh, something from Wes from I'm going to fill you full of bullshit.com said said that uh, you should take beeswax and coconut oil to mix together and wipe on your furniture to to repel dust. Yeah. So like beeswax and coconut oil was um, the buzzword. So then I realized like it's not about knowledge to drive the algorithm. It's about buzzwords. Yeah. right? Like marketing marketing has nothing to do with how much you know, how good you are. It's all about buzzwords. So it was really deflating, but uh, back to the SEO thing, trying to build links as I was researching this, uh, uh, actually a podcast is a great way to build links. There are a lot of uh, sites that syndicate this podcast that build links to our websites. Interesting. So you're building SEO and didn't even know it. See, that's why I just let the universe take control. <laughs> just take yeah. the wheel, baby. Uh, um, yeah. Well, uh, I've always found it interesting. There's there's a shelf life to everything that we do, and I don't understand how how the uh, the powers that be dictate that shelf life. You, you and I both know if you post something on Instagram or you post something on YouTube, the algorithm will pick and choose it for a while. And um, you know, I go back to some of the automotive repair videos that I've done over the years. And they'll do really, really well for a span of time. And then they'll they'll all fall off at some point. And the information is no different today than it was 10 years ago. But the computer is like, well, nope, somebody needs something fresh. <laughs> and this person's playing the game better, even though their content may not be as good or get as much view time or fill in the blank. We're going to push that content because it's more fresh than this old thing. Yeah, and or more sensationalized. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting. I mean, like you go back to 
the library analogy, essentially YouTube is just a big video library, right? And uh, some of the most popular books in, in the library are not the ones that were written last week. They're the written the ones that were written uh, five decades ago or two centuries ago. You know, st people still read the Iliad and the Odyssey from Homer and, you know, those types of books. Um, and so it's interesting when you look at social media that it is a challenge, especially if you're selling things and you're trying to drive traffic to a website or something, is you constantly you can't rely on your old video that already showed that thing. You've got to have fresh content that continues to show the same thing over and over again. And at some point you you have to worry a little bit about viewer fatigue. If you have a subscriber base that sees all your stuff and they see the same thing 10 times, at what point do they become fatigued? But then you also have to introduce your content to a new group of people because chances are, if you're like me and you're selling guitar tools, the people who watched your video from 10 years ago that subscribed to you bought your tool already. So when you look at them as a, as a potential revenue source, they're maybe going to spend money if you come out with new tools, but they're not going to spend money on the same tool three times. So there's, a, there's an interesting balance there that we have to have uh, with regard to keeping the content fresh if you're if you're in the business to sell things. Yeah. So on back, kind of circling back to your, so circling back to your point about uh, keeping your content fresh. I, I hardly watch any YouTube anymore. I, it used to be um, like my, my morning coffee routine. I get my coffee, I'd sit down and watch YouTube and then I'd go out in the shop and go to work. Uh, but I, I don't do that anymore. And it's mainly because I'm bored with um, I'm bored with the content because I've seen it all, right? It's not that I've seen their latest video, but I know what their video is about because I've seen them do it before. So I've pretty much stopped watching YouTube um, as a whole. And I've been looking for other things to entertain myself or to grow knowledge because I'm always wanting to learn new things. And so I'm sure you've seen the ads for Masterclass. Yeah. So I bought a Masterclass subscription and uh, it's pretty good. They're very well, they're very well done. Um, some people, you can tell that they uh, they gave them a master class because they're well known and popular. And believe it uh, or not, but the ones that are well known and popular and got their master class are the shallowest classes. Yes. The people that I've never heard of um, have the most in-depth courses on on their topic level. Mm -hmm. Um, one you might be interested in just because of the guitars, which he's also very well known. Um, and I don't know that I walked away with any amazing guitar information from him, but I walked away incredibly inspired was Carlos Santana's oh, yeah. masterclass. It was fantastic. It's, it's by far the best one. Like if you were to rate them all on a scale of one to 10, his was a 10 and then everybody else's, no matter how good they were didn't even come close to 10 there. Maybe the next best one was eight. Yeah. Carlos, he, he talks about uh, a lot about the universal light and uh, you know, that, that cosmic existence. Yes. yes. He's and way out there. He, he is a quintessential artist and you know, you, you talk about people being an artist in the music world and, and that's a term that's thrown around a lot. And, you know, uh, he is a true artist music happens to be his medium mm -hmm. and uh he is he is one of those people that i think everybody he comes in contact with has the same reaction that you just had 
He's a very special person. And I, I don't know how else to describe that. I've not met the man in person. Uh, I've worked with a lot of people who've worked with Carlos Santana and everybody says the same thing. And everything, every interview I've ever seen him give has just been off the charts. He's just that guy. Yeah. And, and you know, that's the, that's the guy you root for because the, the good guys win sometimes. And he's yeah. definitely one of those good guys. I, I have, uh, I had a, a subscription to masterclass at one point in time and I, I watched quite a few of them, but I got it because they had a masterclass with Frank Gehry about yes. architecture. That was going to be my next point. Um, I, I'm, I am a Frank Gehry fan. I'm not like a super fan or anything like that, but I, I enjoy seeing his work. I think he's one of those guys that has changed the world. Like he tipped the scales. There's no doubt about mm -hmm. it. He's, he's on the Eddie Van Halen level of architects, right? Like he did something that no one else had done before and everybody wants to copy. And when everybody starts copying the things he's already done, he's completely changed what he's doing. And now everybody's looking at that thing going, Oh, maybe that's the direction we need to go. Uh, but I would agree there's, when you look at content production, uh, they have definitely assembled a team that that's put some good things together. I don't know how that ties back to our topic, Brian, of is social media still valid uh, for an advertising medium, but uh, back to the saturation point, I agree. You know, there's only, there's only so many river tables you can watch get done or epoxy videos or uh, mid-century modern furniture uh, concoctions that come together that have the same leg design and, and the same general proportions and, and features. But that said, um, I think there's some people out there that are still putting together interesting content because they do keep it, they do keep it moving. They don't just hunker down in one space. They, they explore and do things in maybe it's more than one medium or maybe it's more than one style or one approach in terms of technique. And those people tend to be very, at least from what I've seen, very successful in both building an audience and maintaining an audience. Yeah. So uh, back to the masterclass thing, um, you mentioned Frank Gehry. Yes, I am also a, a Frank Gehry fan. I have watched all his interviews. Um, all, all, every, anytime I see something Frank Gehry, I watch it, I read the article, whatever. Uh, but back to the saturation thing i started watching his master class and i didn't finish his because i'd already heard it all yeah. i'd already read it all and i was just like ah okay and so i move i moved on but that's that's the one unfortunate thing that we can saturate ourselves because for him i'm sure he's still growing as a person and growing as an architect but it takes so long to build a building that mm -hmm. his change um his amount that he's able to change and put out in the world is is very long it's a long arc and i find that with a lot of uh, people that i used to enjoy watching youtube that no longer do youtube anymore because they weren't successful and it's because they were true craftsmen and they were taking the time to do it right and uh, push their skills and things and so they weren't rewarding the algorithm with a daily video or whatever it was a monthly video or every other month video I look at some of the guys that um, I interacted quite a bit with on YouTube when I started, and a lot of them may post a video every six months now, and some of them not even that frequent. They, I feel like they keep a toe in there sometimes, but it's not that same same uh, drive that they used to have. But you know, my hope deep down inside is that that all of those people have become just successful enough that they don't have to 
pump out videos anymore that they've just got a stream of work and they're doing, you know, back to that, you know, are we doing art or are we paying rent? And, you know, the hope is that they've built enough business or enough fill in the blank to, to be doing the art side of things and the, the passion items that they really want to do. But man, that is, that is a, a tough hump to get over that idyllic situation. There are very few people that didn't grow up with very wealthy parents that are able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you could not not very many silver spoons in the world, but uh, yeah. So yeah, that's one of the things uh, I'm I'm looking for to in my business of what else is out there. Where else can I go? Um, can I get well known enough to be able to do my own master class on furniture design or something? And then also, do I have the chops? Because that they really. Um, it's a really well-produced thing and the people are speak very eloquently, which is not necessarily my uh, forte as you listen to this podcast, as I stumble around my words quite often. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing is when you have a production of that size, everybody's on script. There's no doubt about it. There's very, very little freelancing that goes on in the master classes from yeah. what I've seen. Say it they, 10 times and then they'll pick the best one. That's exactly it. And but, you know, you have a crew of that size and a, um, the film equipment and lighting that they have, you you got to nail it and it's got to come out perfect and, and look like it wasn't rehearsed, which is a, a talent in and of itself, I suppose, that that uh, I'll probably never, never be at that level. Don't don't know that I really want to. But um, well, Brian, we've been on here for just about an hour. Uh, yeah. I think we've covered some pretty good ground. I think at the end of the day, you know, my answer is there is still some validity to social media and using it to advertise your business, but uh, it's probably a, a lot different today. Not probably. It is a lot different today than it was 10 years ago, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to, uh, do you want to take us out? Yeah. So, so I'm Greg Porter. You can find me at gregsgaragekc.com and skyscraperguitars.com. Uh, same on social media. Yeah, and I'm Brian Benham. You can find me Benham Design on just about every social media platform that I participate on. And you are listening to the Maker's Quest podcast. And uh, to help promote our podcast, we will be coming out with our own recipe of beeswax and coconut oil for your furniture that you can get at themakersquest.com. And your wife's skin. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's great. It'll make her glow. Great. Yes. Good side, uh, side um, marketing, multi-marketing with the same product. Excellent. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>